entrance and then I look at my wife waiting for her to tell me what it is I did wrong but I digress I'm sorry when the entrance is closed everyone is kept away from the rooms that are inside the building but once it has been opened, people can enter into that building and then enjoy each of the rooms in their entirety. Well, the heart is not a separate and exclusive part of our being, but is composed of all the parts of the soul and a part of the spirit. Because of this being built in this fashion, the heart becomes the very gateway or entrance and exit of our whole being. So whatever enters into us must enter through the heart. Let me say that again for you. Whatever enters into us must enter through the heart. And whatever comes out from us must proceed from the heart. Amen. Now, Scripture is clear in this regard that it is from the heart that what? The mouth speaks. Matthew 12 and 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil... Speak good things, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Luke 6 and 45 also declares, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaketh. Let me give you an example. If our heart is not alert as we listen to a message, we will not get the substance of the message itself. Or if we're reading, we will not receive if our heart is not focused upon the content of the text. And even while eating, if we do not have the heart to eat, we will not savor the food that is being consumed. And this proves that the heart is the controlling organ in the body. In order to control the whole being, we must be able to either close or open the door. So with the heart, there is the power to close or open our whole being. And I want you to understand this because this is how the enemy has been getting uh, into even those of us in the body of Christ and really messing with the entirety of who we are because we have opened the door for his entrance. We have opened the door. We have power and control over what comes into our heart. And it's important that we understand that. And it's for this reason that the preaching of the gospel has to be guided by the Holy Spirit so that it might penetrate the human heart. The most effectual way of preaching the gospel is to impact the human heart. Because if I can break through the hearts of those who hear me preach, many can be gained for the kingdom of God. And this is why unbelievers will do what? They harden or close their heart to the preaching of the gospel. Regardless of how much we preach, when an unbeliever closes their heart, we cannot reach them. We cannot minister anything into them because their point of embarkation or their entrance place is closed. We can't get in. We must find a way if we are going to preach or witness effectively to break through the closed entrance. The best preacher who is the one who finds the key to unlock the heart of the, the people or the person to whom they are preaching is declared good because they have found a way in. 
this past Tuesday in Bible study, God urged me to talk about, and we even went into a, a, a type of role play, a, a practice of uh, effectual uh, witnessing, how to witness. We, we worked on this together as a group, the very thing that we are called to do, uh, but really, if we're going to be honest, most of us shy away from with the quickness. When I think about Jesus, the, the great communicator, and, and I meditate upon his effective method of passing through the heart of men, I find that even the Lord himself attracts us through our heart. He does not stir our spirit first. You see, the seeking one in the very beginning of Song of Songs asked the Lord to attract her by his love so that she may love him. The Lord comes to touch our heart with his love. And this is why after the resurrection, the Lord asked Peter, do you love me? John 21, 15 through 17. You can read it for yourself if you don't believe me. It's in there, I promise you. But the love of the Lord is the best way to unlock the door of the heart. So it's because of this that the most effective way to open the heart is to preach what? The love of God. Once the heart is opened, it's easy for the Holy Spirit to touch the spirit and all the parts of man's being. And this is true not only in the gospel preaching, but even in the ministry of Christian teaching. I've seen people grow more through my expression of love and teaching than I ever did when I would tell people about themselves. And when I say tell them about themselves, I'm talking about focusing on the whatnots instead of uh, the things that they should be doing. But people are always more receptive to receive correction from you when they know their relationship with you is built upon the foundation of genuine and authentic love for them. Amen. So we have to deal with the heart. The heart's important. And it's for this reason that we must deal with our heart so that we might have a proper relationship with the Lord. How can we deal with our heart? I know the question is being asked. And I, I'm here to tell you, it's quite simple. The scripture says, bless our the pure in heart, Matthew 5 and 8, check the, check the text. Matthew 5 and 8, check the text. You, you ought to try the spirits by the word. You ought to make sure I'm telling you what's right. Matthew 5 and 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, if you look into some translations, some translators have changed the word pure to clean uh, or clean in heart. But the word clean is not actually an adequate translation according to the original writing. It's not just a matter of a heart being clean, but a matter of a heart being pure. So we have, uh, you, know, uh, you know, clean heart, and, and we've kind of mixed up the clean with, uh, you know, being pure. And clean does not necessarily mean pure. Now, to be mixed up doesn't mean that we are dirty. It just means we have more than one goal or more than one aim. And this is the problem with many believers in Christ. And I see it played out in churches across this country. They think that they, are, you know, that they have nothing wrong with their heart because they are clean, 
and without condemnation. But they are not pure because they have more than one goal. And I want you to understand this. They have more than one aim. Their focus is more upon what they do for the church than it is their relationship with Jesus. Oh, I'm preaching now. Uh, you you got to understand something. If you stop doing something for the church, I promise you the church is not going to crumble and die. I, I'm, I'm a living witness. I know that there are people that have been with me who stopped being with me, but guess what? GMFC is still going on because this is not a church of people. It is the church of the Lord. And those that stand with me know it is better to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus than it is to have a relationship with GMFC. Hallelujah. But we have to understand that uh, people get focused more on the church rather than what they are doing or their relationship with Jesus. And, uh, you know, it's true that they are aiming at God, but at the same time that they're aiming at God, they're also aiming at several other things. Their focus is on many things, and they may be aiming at God and at, and at a doctorate degree as well. When they have two things as their goal, they get mixed up and things become complicated. Let me give you an example. You cannot see two things with your eyes at the same time. If we try to look at two items at the same time, both of them are blurred. We may have an idea of what the two items or the two things are, but we cannot make out true detail because our eyes can only focus on one thing at a time. As a matter of fact, even in video and photo editing, they teach that the object in the photo or the video that you are shooting should be made to be up front by blurring the background. And this helps you to focus on the context of what is being projected because the body, the mind, the, the, uh, the eyes cannot in detail focus on more than one thing at a time. And if you're going to be honest with yourself, mentally you can't focus on more than one thing at a time either. You, you, you might get some tidbits here and there, but you will miss something. Now, we do not concentrate on what is being blurred or what is blurry or cannot be seen clearly so we visually then engage what is being made clear so why is it that some people say that they're not clear about the will of God? People say, I'm not really sure what the will of God is for my life, or I'm struggling to understand uh, God's will or God's purpose in my life. And it's often because, I'm getting ready to bust some bubbles right now, but I, I'm trying to teach you something. It's often because you have too many goals. Yes, I said it. You got too much stuff going on. Or as the old saints used to say, you got too many uh, pot stirs in, in the pot. You got, you got too many things going on at the same time. And many believers have really more than one aim. They have multiple aims. They are aiming at many things. They are seeking the Lord, but at the same time, they are seeking other stuff, such as uh, their position in life and uh, their careers and uh, gaining of finances or the perfecting of their gifting. You know, I, I, I've got to, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, but I, I've got to get my gifting, my anointing right first, so I'm, I'm going to focus on that at the same time. Uh, well, how can they avoid uh, being perplexed or confused? Their heart has to be purified. It, it, you know, there are so many 
ambitions and we have to be purified from our ambition so that the Lord himself may become our only goal you see our pursuit should always and only be Jesus matter of fact you ought to put that in the comment section I'm pursuing Jesus alone uh, and, and if that's not a true statement of you you ought to from this point make that the truest statement that you've ever uttered in your life by from this day forward moving forward with only one pursuit and that pursuit is Jesus Christ and Jesus alone because Jesus should be the center of your everything. Now I've heard people testify that they had a great goal. They wanted to be the most prolific preacher uh, in their given denomination. And while their heart was clean, I'm here to tell you their heart was not pure because the focus is abstract as it is not a true focus on God, but rather a focus on self. Their heart has to be purified until their only goal is the Lord Jesus himself. Now, some Christians have the Lord himself and his work as their goal they have two goals they need to purify their heart until they seek nothing other than the Lord himself as their goal their aim their goal and their interest should only be in Jesus and when they seek absolutely nothing but him their heart becomes pure and if they have such a pure heart the sky opens and it will not only be open but very clear to them sometimes the sky is open but it's cloudy you can't get the full view of the sun because there are some clouds in the way uh, well, why is the spiritual sky cloudy it's because your heart is mixed and not pure when the heart is purified from all the multiple glorious things that you want to do for Jesus the sky will become clear another term the Bible uses to describe the heart is singleness uh, it's a singleness of heart now some versions translate singleness as simplicity or as the simplicity of the heart and singleness of heart uh, means to be simple let me say that again for you singleness of heart means to be simple you see we think it's a good thing to be complicated uh, but the Bible is really getting us to a place of understanding that the simpler you are the better off you will be the problem is uh, is that to uh, be simple in a sense means that we need to be foolish and those who really love the Lord and their focus is on Jesus himself Himself are a kind of fool now you might you know uh, understand that to be something negative but we must all become Christian fools you ought to put that in the comments or tweet that I'm a fool for Jesus now most people will have no real idea what that even means so you should put it a second time I'm a fool for Jesus if you don't like the word fool because you're misguided in what it truly means then you could just say I'm simple for Jesus uh, God ain't looking for complicated he's looking for simple just like you we shy away from complex things and we like the simple things that you can deal with now some of you listening to me right now are hesitant to even type that out because your thoughts betray you you are thinking to yourself Bishop has finally lost his mind I ain't nobody's fool and this is the problem that we have because the enemy has tricked many into believing 
believing that being a fool is something terrible. But what I am saying when I say I am a fool for Jesus means I don't know anything but Jesus. Whatever I do, I know only Jesus. Wherever I go, I know only Jesus. Whatever I accomplish, I know only Jesus. Whatever I amass, I know only Jesus. And we should not try to be clever. We have uh, only one way, the narrow way of Jesus. Now people will say that you are foolish and they mean it in a negative way. But we should like to be so foolish because this is simplicity in motion. If, if you're trying to figure out why things are so complex in your life, you ought to just start being a Christian fool. A fool for Jesus because when you're a fool for Jesus, you've introduced simplicity into your life and being a fool then makes that simplicity take action. Now there are three passages in scripture referring to the purity of heart and those are Psalm 73 and 1, Matthew 5 and 8, and 2 Timothy 2 and 22. Now 2 Timothy 2 and 22 references that while the church uh, uh, or the churches multiple were deteriorating uh, they must pursue the Lord with a pure heart and pray together with others who have a pure heart now there are at least three verses that are referring to the singleness of heart Acts 2 and 46 Ephesians 6 and 5 and Colossians 3 and 22 now if we would seek and serve the Lord we must deal with with these two matters which is why I'm talking to you about this today and these two matters are to be pure and single in our heart we must learn to have not only a clean and right heart but a pure and single heart if we would deal with our heart in such a way our whole being will be open to the Lord because the gateway has now finally opened up and this is not some doctrine that I'm introducing but simple instructions on how to deal with the heart so as to allow the Lord to possess your whole being and stoop uh, and stop rather being a part-time lover or a squatter. You know, that's somebody that doesn't have the right to be there. Uh, when you when you're, you have multiple things going on, you can only be part-time in all of those things. So let's deal uh, a little bit with this. Let's deal with the conscience. Let, let, me, let me say this again. The Lord must first attract us by his love. So he touches our heart with his love in order to open our heart. Then immediately following the dealing with the heart, the conscience has to be dealt with. Now the dealings in the presence of the Lord are first with the heart and then with the conscience. Because if we are pure and single in our heart, the function of our conscience will immediately be very key and alert. Now while you have been listening to me uh, these past weeks you may uh, not have you know had the sense that you are wrong in anything or have made mistakes but when we deal with our heart and make it pure and single the conscience will function in its 
full and proper design. We have to understand that many of us are not seeing things that are wrong in us because our conscience is not functioning in full power. Our conscience uh, will begin to accuse us, causing us to confess so that we can deal with the hidden things. Yep, that's that stuff that you buried so deep in you that you don't want to deal with it. And this will make our conscience without then offense. If you don't believe me, Paul said that he exercised himself to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Check the text, Acts 24 and 16. It's in there. You see, a conscience without offense means that we are free from any kind of offense or accusation. We are free from offense and accusation. And in order to know uh, the difference between the soul and the spirit, we need to have a keen conscience. But this is difficult when we reason in our mentality. Now, some of you may uh, say to yourself, well, I'm wrong 10% of the time, but so, uh, uh, you know, so-and-so wronged me 100% of the time. So uh, because they did it 100% of the time, they owe me a balance of at least 90%. Now, this is nothing but mental figuration in the soul. And while we're reasoning logically in our mentality, there is something deeper going on within us that's trying to tell us, regardless of how much anyone may owe you in the sense of offense, you must deal with that 10% that you have already recognized in yourself. You see, the spiritual account is not like a bank account. Uh, the account in the bank has a credit, it has a debit, and it has a balance. But the account in the spirit only has one column, and that column is the debit. And regardless of how much credit we may have, as long as we have a debit, we must deal with that debit because that debit is what's going out. It's not what's coming in. And suppose I stole a watch from you. Let's just say I got crazy and I stole a watch from you uh, and you turn around and you steal a car from me. Now we are very clear about what we stole from each other but one day the conscience begins to function and it tells us you have to deal with uh, that stolen article. Of course if I were simply balancing an, a, an account like a bank account I would reason that the watch that I stole only cost $100 but the car that you stole cost $40,000. So actually, uh, you owe me 90, uh, 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 or I'm sorry, $38,000 uh, between what uh, you, I stole and what you stole. Let, let me correct that. Let me get my math right. Uh, if I'm $40,000 and you're $100,000, that means $39,900 is then really what you owe me uh, because of the difference. Now, there's no need for me to deal then with my conscience so rather I should collect the balance that I'm owed but the spiritual account doesn't work that way it doesn't function in that fashion the spiritual account demands that watch this I forget how much you owe me and I deal with how much I owe you. Uh, yeah, even though you owe me more, uh, in a sense, uh, the Bible teaches us that I'm accountable not for what you owe me, but for what I owe you. And I cannot.
cannot disregard what I owe you because I think you owe me more. Somebody ought to get happy and excited. I, 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 as a matter of fact, let me, let me take this deeper for you. Uh, you because we get indignant sometimes when we think that somebody owes us more than we owe them. Uh, so let me just take this a little deeper for you. Not only are we accountable for the so-called little that we owe you, uh, but we are even called in the Bible to apologize for what we owe even when you owe us more. So if I'm doing you wrong and you've done me wrong, I'm not to wait for you to apologize to me. I ought to apologize to you. My attitude ought to be, I'm sorry. It is sinful for me to steal. So here is back the stolen watch, which I am returning to you. Not after you return my car, but before you even think about returning my car. I must, as a matter of fact, I must not even say a word about the thing you stole from me. I have no right to even mention it. Only the Holy Spirit has the right to say something to the person that allegedly owes me anything. Because in the heavenly account, there is only one column, not two, and that column is the debit. And I hope that you're beginning to see the point. If you're arguing and reasoning with me you are simply in the mind and not functioning in the spirit. If you're beginning to listen to me and you're trying to uh, quantify the things that I'm saying and qualify what I'm saying and you're going back and forth and, and up and down and, and trying to, to, to figure this thing out but, but to your benefit, uh, so to speak, uh, what you're really doing is reasoning and arguing in your mind rather than in your spirit. So let me further illustrate illustrate this for you. Suppose uh, the Holy Spirit is working in your spirit uh, demanding that you answer the call of the Lord. But many reasons flood your mind. Uh, you know how about my wife? How about my children? What about their education? I still have a mother who is 80 years old. It is better to wait a little longer to answer the call of the Lord. Uh, uh, maybe the Lord got it wrong. I, I'm not really called to do that. I'm not used to sitting in front of people. I'm not used to preaching the gospel. I'm not used to singing in front of people. I sing in the shower, but I don't want to sing in front of people. I hear you calling me, Lord, but that's not what I'm thinking that you, I, you must have me mixed up with somebody else. Somebody else must be in your mind that shares the same name with me, and I feel this urging, but the Holy Spirit got it wrong. It's that other person that has my name now this is nothing but the arguments and the rationalization in your mentality of your soul you are quite logical and quite reasonable quite right but there is still the call of the Lord that is deep in your spirit and it is easy to understand the difference between the soul and the spirit but the problem is that our whole being may still be locked 
up because our heart is not opened up. Uh, let me say that again. As a matter of fact, you ought to put that in the comment section. I'm locked up because my heart ain't opened up. I, I, I feel a preacher coming out of me today. I, I, I got to say this in a way that you can get it. We have to open our heart if we're ever going to deal with the things of God. When we deal with our heart so that our heart is pure and single, our conscience will then be very keen to make known many accusations and offenses that are, are within us. Our conscience then can only be made right by confession and by applying the sprinkling of the blood, the cleansing of the Lord's blood. Hebrews 9 and 14 teaches us this. So when our conscience is purified, we will serve the living God. Now God is a living God. But he is not a living God to us when our conscience is full of offense. When this is the case, we have a God in name only, but when our conscience is cleansed by the blood, we sense that God is living in us. And sometimes it seems as if God is not so real or alive. He's just a, a, a title, God, and, and that's all. Then our conscience is dull and filled with offense. It needs to be dealt with by confession and cleansing. And then we will have a pure conscience. Now, the apostle Paul tells Timothy, that was his student, that he served God with what? A pure conscience. Not only a cleansed conscience, but a conscience without any mixture or shadow. 2 Timothy 1 and 3, you can read it for yourself. Now, an accusation in our conscience then makes our conscience impure and opaque. It, it hinders our fellowship with the Lord. A pure conscience is also a good conscience. 1 Timothy 1 and 5, uh, 1 Timothy 1 and 19, 1 Peter 3 and 16, 1 Peter 3 and 21. A good conscience is a conscience that is both cleansed and purified. It is right and transparent without any shadow. A conscience is such a, a, a good, in such a good condition will only bring us into the presence of the Lord. There is nothing as a barrier that would exist between he and us because the conscience Conscience has been cleansed and purified. And because the conscience is cleansed and purified, we can get into dealing with fellowship. Because following the dealing with the conscience, the faculty of fellowship in our spirit is dealt with. Uh, as I revealed to you in uh, uh, when I read to you 1 John 1, 1 through 7, fellowship between us and God is maintained by a good conscience. So when the conscience is offended, it becomes a barrier and it damages our fellowship with the Lord. Therefore, according to 1 John 1 and 9, we must confess our faults, our failures, and our sins so that the blood of the Lord Jesus might cleanse our conscience. Then there will be no condemnation in our conscience to hinder our fellowship with the Lord. Now, strictly speaking, our fellowship is dependent upon our dealing with the conscience. It is maintained through a 
pure conscience. So these two dealings are actually one dealing. Since to deal with our conscience is to deal with our fellowship. Fellowship will be maintained if uh, there is nothing wrong in our conscience. If there is a break in our fellowship with the Lord, it means that our conscience is wrong. And when our conscience is not pure and transparent, the fellowship is gone and can only be regained when our conscience is recovered. Amen. Now, let me touch upon uh, the intuition. Let me, let me just talk about this for a minute. Because we come to the place uh, where intuition gets involved. So as the fellowship follows the conscience, so our intuition follows fellowship. And if we are wrong in the conscience, the fellowship is broken. And when the fellowship is broken, our intuition does not function. So the, to, to, to deal with the conscience is uh, really very basic. A transparent conscience will bring us into the presence of the Lord which results in a living fellowship with him through this living fellowship it is easy for our spirit to sense the will of God directly this is the function of your intuition this function depends entirely upon a perfect fellowship and when our fellowship is perfected the intuition starts to function as it was designed and when our fellowship with the Lord is broken then automatically the intuition does not work and can uh, only be recovered through restored fellowship in 1st John 2 and 27 there's a very important word which most of us neglect it says that the anointing abides in us now the anointing is the working of the Holy Spirit within our spirit giving us a direct sense from God that direct sense is our intuition. 1 John chapter 1 indicates that the fellowship is kept or maintained by the blood. Chapter 2 indicates that the intuition works by the inner anointing of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit anoints us by moving into our spirit, we receive a direct sense of the intuition of God. And through the intuition within our spirit, we have an inner knowledge, not a mental understanding. The inner knowledge is in our spirit, whereas the understanding is in our mind. And the inner knowledge of our spirit always precedes the understanding of our mind. In other words, when the Holy Spirit anoints our spirit, we receive a direct sense in our intuition. And through the intuition within our spirit, we have an inner knowledge or sensing something of God. But we still need the mind to understand what we sense in the spirit. And sometimes we can know something only in the spirit, but we cannot understand it in the mind. And this sounds like heavenly language and the, the world does not know what we are talking about. The understanding in the mind functions only to interpret what our spirit is sensing as the inner knowledge of God. Our enlightened or renewed 
renewed mind will interpret what we sense in the intuition of our spirit. Let me say it like this. Sometimes in the morning when you read the word and you pray, a burden may spontaneously be sensed deeply within your spirit and a burden that's so heavy and deep that you cannot understand truly what it is but you know that it is there. We have to look to the Lord for the understanding of what this burden is all about. Now gradually during the day we begin to understand with our mind what was going on in our spirit. In the morning we sense the burden or in the inner knowledge by our intuition in our spirit. But during the day we begun to gradually receive the interpretation in our mind of what we sensed in our spirit. So if I were to summarize 1 John 1, it, it would reveal that the fellowship must be maintained. 1 John 2, uh, especially verse 27, shows that in the intuition has to be stirred up or anointed by the Holy Spirit and both uh, the fellowship and the intuition depend entirely upon our dealing with our conscience. So through such this uh, type of dealing, we can obtain a transparent and pure conscience which will give us a perfect fellowship with the Lord. And this will result in the function of the intuition because the Holy Spirit will then have the ground to move and anoint our spirit. And all these things must be put 